You like that? That's our laugh track. <laughs> Nando loves it. I'm bringing the intro in. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's sick. Welcome, guys, to Jungle Brothers Podcast. It's Joe Worthington. We've got Tiara Ward in the house. Hi there. And we've got a, a returning guest, Anand Rajan Nando. G'day. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? Good, bro. Thank you for joining us again. Um, Nando's going to be taking us on a bit of a journey today in the medical realm. Uh, before he does it, I just want to mention a couple of guy, a couple of things to you guys. Our morning jiu-jitsu program is up and running, so we've got uh, 6 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and that is with JT Tenacity Tomlinson running the class. New head coach of the jiu-jitsu program. Absolutely epic guy. Amazing morning session. So if you're interested, come down. And that's beginners, experienced, whoever. Um, we have uh, a BJJ introductory workshop for beginners coming up. The date is not out yet, but I will be announcing that in the next week or so. So keep an eye out for it. If you're interested in learning more about jiu-jitsu, come along to that. It's going to be free. We're going to be showing the basic concepts of the, of the art. And then we'll also be doing an open mat off the back of that where uh, experienced grapplers can come in and just have a bit of fun. Obviously, any team, any affiliation, all welcome. Um, and we also have another event coming up with Rise Foundation Australia, who are the guys that our money raised from the fight night went towards. These guys are helping to promote mental health awareness through our community. Uh, details on that will be out soon too, but that will be an event that people will be able to get involved with and it will be happening here at the gym. So um, stay tuned, more to come. Uh, Nando, thank you for joining us, brother. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. I guess uh, it's, well, give it, can you give us a little synopsis on what we're going to be talking about today? So I think this began by T asking me what is the story with COVID vaccines and the fact that we are going to be having rollouts of vaccines as early as next month. And then I think, well, I, I said to him, it's like, well, to be able to talk about COVID-19 vaccines, you need to be able to talk about what is a vaccine. And then to be able to talk about that, you need to talk a bit about how does immunity work. And then I guess he had broader questions on why, why do people trust or not trust these things in the, in the first place. And I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today will probably be shaped around that. Um, and I guess, you know, I've, you've got me on here and I'm a medical professional as well. But one thing about any scientists or any people uh, who, who speak to a particular subject is they're very clear about where they fit into that and what's their role. So I'm, I'm happy to speak to this subject, especially when it comes to physiology and uh, subjects like that. They're very close to us as anaesthetists, which is what I am, but I'm by no means an infectious disease physician or a microbiologist or any of those things of that nature. So <coughs> with something that is this evolving or changing, um, what I can say is that having looked at the data and looked at all the available information to myself, this is the best info that I can give you at this point in time. Um, this will change and where it changes, one will clarify things. So with all of those caveats, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the best info that I've got so far. Yeah, I think um, going back to why we're running this podcast, uh, first, we, we talk about all things health. Um, the, the problem that I'm coming across, and I'm not just talking about reading in the media, I'm talking about people that I'm actually talking to friends, family, uh, educated people, people that um, are professionals in their field, uh, have uh, almost a skewed um, interpretation of what a vaccine actually is. And I'm no 
professional on on the matter, but I think there's just a lot of misinformation out there. And within that misinformation, some information that's true, uh, and then someone else's uh, opinion of certain information, uh, but it's fucking confusing. And it's to the point where everyone's just coming up with a conclusion of their own. And you're seeing this all over the world where we're looking at countries like France that uh, have a, a potentially a 40% uh, uptake rate on this on the COVID vaccine. You know that this fucking virus is going uh, rampant through Europe. It's through Africa, it's through India. It's the America's in a whole bunch of strife. And I guess um, people are starting to lose a little bit of trust, a little bit of faith in um, their information outlets or they're just putting too much faith in the wrong ones. So I think it's really important that um, if you are listening to this and you haven't made your mind up on whether you're taking the vaccine or not or uh, you know, if you, you want to know what's in it, uh, you want to know if it's good for, or bad for your health or all these other little myths and misconceptions and truths, um, it would be nice to be able to get to the bottom of a bunch of those so that at the end of this podcast, people can make an informed decision on whether it's something that they're going to do or not. I like that. It's no pressure at all. Yeah, no, that's right. It's, it's just the fate of our community and our <laughs> listeners. It's right. on your shoulders, Nando. We've got 60 minutes. Yeah. We, we've got as much time as we need. But all right. Yeah, but no, I think, I think you made your point clear that like this is not exactly what you do. However... You are an anaesthetist. You have studied for probably more than Doogie Howser studied. And, you, you know, in terms of our community, you're a qualified guy for us to listen to right now. That's fair enough. And at least I have looked at the data. We will try and do this as best as possible. Cool. Where do we want to start? Well, well let's, talk about, let's talk about immunity. What is it and, and how does it work? So immunity is essentially our, our body's natural immune reaction to any pathogen, so anything that's foreign and encountered. And broadly speaking, it can be divided into two areas, uh, immunity that has memory and immunity that does not. So mm -hmm. there's immunity that doesn't have memory. So the most important thing are physical barriers that stop a pathogen being either a virus, bacteria, parasite or whatever from getting into the body. So things like skin... Uh, things like the stomach acid. So if you ingest something, if you eat something that's not quite right, there's a whole pit of acid that tries to digest it. Uh, even your tears have got antimicrobial agents in them. So the whole idea of trying to flush something away stops a pathogen from getting into the body. Then That's if, cool. Yeah. I didn't know that about tears. Yeah. And it's got a lysosome in it. I'd start crying. It's not, and your mouth would have the same too then, I'm guessing? Um any mucosal surface yeah. will have something of that description. Nice. I can't exactly tell you what's in the mouth, but uh, that, that is part of a barrier as well. Um, if it manages to enter the body, you have a series of um, floating uh, killer cells and uh, natural killer cells and various other parts of innate immunity that, are, that recognize anything foreign, which expresses on the surface of the antigen as being not made by us and then aims to surround it, swarm it and kill it. Uh, that happens, it, it's constantly around our body, but it doesn't actually have memory. It just notes something foreign and then kills it. So that's the innate immunity. The adaptive immunity is where vaccination becomes more relevant. That has the idea of uh, a series of antibodies that are constantly being made randomly. So within well, the lymphocytes, there are 
DNA being constantly shuffled. So you've got these constant combinations being made, just waiting for anything foreign to encounter it. As soon as that... What, what uh, benefit does it have for it by replicating itself in different, different manners? Well, what happens is that whenever some foreign thing enters the body uh, and it, it breaks its way into a cell, then your body really just does two things. It either it marks it for destruction or it finds a way to neutralize it and then take that neutralizing cell and make tons and tons and tons of it so that you then have memory uh, and that'll remain in your immune system indefinitely. And as we're doing this podcast, there are probably multiple infections that we are winning against right now because your body has simply recognized something that we've encountered before and is swarming, replicating and getting rid of it as we're talking right now. So right once on. you've actually de de developed memory to it, um, it's almost like the, the, the intruder doesn't even make it into the room. It just gets sort of the bounces at the door take care of it. Okay. And this is, and so this uh, adaptive immunity, immunity yep. this is where vaccines are, yep, that's where correct. they work. That's correct. Yeah. It's always interesting when people talk about ways of boosting your immunity. It's like, well, what we've got is pretty solid to start off with. It's <laughs> a good point. However, there's shit, basic shit we don't do that it compromises our immunity, right? Like being unhealthy, eating poor food, not sleeping enough, that like simple things like that yep. don't allow this system to work as well as it could. Um, I mean, the system will always work, but doing those things simply allow for repair and self-care and, you know, even just hand washing and taking care of your skin is probably going to improve the integrity of your skin barrier and physical barriers to getting in. So it's all just part of self-care. Right on. Uh, you're talking about... Um the, the, this is where the vaccine comes in. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, how does that work? Generally, like, what, what are we? What are we looking at? So I, I thought of it actually. We were talking about fight night. I think this is an interesting example for vaccination. So you had fight night a few weeks ago. Paired people up. Your headliner was Dylan uh, versus Ty, mm -hmm. and you had about eight or ten weeks worth of preparation. Yeah. So I mean. Let me put it this way. So instead of having eight to ten weeks of preparation, you had one day of preparation. And just say that instead of Dylan's opponent being Ty, that Dylan's opponent was Conor McGregor. Right on. Or, I mean, for people who don't know, Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson. You had one day of preparation. You got them in the ring. And it was nature's rules. So you could work as hard as you could with no intensity until one opponent was down or, or not. How do you reckon it would go down? Somehow I feel like Dylan m might come off second best. Yeah. Would you want to recruit for a new coach before it began or would you wait till the following week? Or <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by all accounts, it's like Dylan would probably be dead. He would take the fight. Yeah. Dylan would take that fight. I think he He'd would. take it. Yeah. Ty, yeah, Ty, I'll fight him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking... But yeah, okay, go on with this analogy. But just say you could take... A, a, a version or a twin brother of Conor McGregor that had about the tenth of the intensity and a tenth of the power and a tenth of the speed. And then you had eight or ten weeks to intensely study that opponent and work out exactly how they worked, exactly how they fought. Um, all of their surprise moves, you could develop your own moves that worked as quickly as possible. And then on the day that you were due to fight, you could actually replicate yourself times multiple and then get in the ring. Chances are, you know, whoever's the Conor McGregor you'd meet would, would probably go down, assuming you could accelerate yourself and have exactly the way of dealing with that intruder. Okay. And that's essentially how vaccination works. It's a means of training your immune system to deal with a pathogen that you haven't yet encountered. 
Okay. It's interesting that you say that because a lot of um, a lot of the the argument that goes around today is, oh, you know, bringing these things like putting vaccination in my body is like it, you you got to let nature do it do its work. You know, like for the immune system to be strong, you got to let nature do its work. Got to you know, you got to expose yourself. But then when the vaccine when a vaccine comes along, it's like I'm not putting that shit in my body. Yeah. But in in actual fact. You're, you are allowing nature to do its work by giving your body exposure to something on a much uh, uh, on a more minor level. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, well, let's yeah, look well at na- nature working too might be taking you out of the equation. So you and your <laughs> yeah. family get wiped out, right? Like, that's right. You know, that's the thing. It's not, it's not like, like no, one's a, no one's special. No, no individual is special in this giant organism that we're all a part of called the planet. So it's like, well, yeah, you can let it take its course, but that might mean the end of you and everyone you've ever known. Pretty yeah. much. You want to look at anything up until the last couple of hundred years, you want to see if nature takes its course. That's exactly how it works. Nature is nature wants to unforgiving. Fuck you up. Yeah, it's, it's an uncompromising Always. killing source that's very indiscriminate about things. In fact, if you want to know how things really work pre-vaccination, look at smallpox, which is the only, oh, only virus that we have successfully eradicated. If you, have, if you don't know about smallpox, just Google it and then press images and it <laughs> yeah. is really really sad but it's oh, how we invented man. vaccines so tell us yeah, the story yeah i mean it's i mean there, there have been all manner of ways of people trying to vaccinate themselves over several hundred years but it was 1796 edward jenner was a physician that noted that people were dying everywhere from smallpox it was it was a virulent uh, organism you may remember how how spreadable a virus is it comes down to this number called the r0 so how many people do you infect who you come into contact with and i believe smallpox is somewhere to the order of about oh, eight or, or something or, uh, and if you lived you were like your your skin was completely um disfigured that's right for the like every last bit eyelashes eyelid sorry eyelids mouth everything profound just, rash and then it led to a series of pustules and they left after horrible. several days Caught leading to skin pockmark skin for the rest of your life but what was noticed is that there were milkmaids when you actually had to milk a cow who would develop a mild disease called cowpox and they would have a, a single pustule somewhere along their upper limbs and it was noted that those uh, people who had cowpox tended to be resistant to smallpox and what he then did was collect the pustules or like the pus from the pustules. It sounds kind of gross when you think about it. And then injected it into people who were healthy and then just kind of waited and watched to see whether they got smallpox. And they didn't. And this was just before 1800. This is well before. Did they, did they inject or did they cut and just stick it inside? So that's an interesting point. They, they injected. So right. what you're talking about, I think it's probably important to clarify inoculation versus mm. vaccination versus immunization. So, huh. yeah, inoculation is what you're talking about, where you would make a cut or you make an abrasion on a surface and just kind of like tip the vaccine in, in close proximity to or it. Or a small amount of the actual illness. Yeah, well, onto, onto an exposed surface. A little more dangerous. In fact, one way I've heard is that they used to attempt to inoculate against smallpox with success was to collect the scabs, powder it up, and get people to snort it. Wow. Yeah. Sounds awful Did when you think about it. Did that start in North Bondi? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I believe they're refining that delivery method to this day. <laughs> At significantly more cost than the original way. Yeah. Um, but it, it worked, apparently. It worked against smallpox to an extent. 
but uh, that's inoculation as a means of delivering vaccine versus um, injecting the vaccine through a hollow needle. Right. So I know nowadays vaccination and inoculation are used interchangeably, but inoculation is originally a specific method of delivering a vaccine. And the third thing, immunization. Immunization what are we is the end there? point, is, is uh, right. conferring immunity onto a person. Okay, so it's across both. Yeah, whether it's through a vaccine or actually contracting the illness. But in either case, that was where, um, that was where we began vaccination. And this is, this is well before, he, he just observed this in clinical practice. This is before Louis Pasteur came along and developed germ theory. We knew that germs cause disease, means of heating and sterilization. This is just from that point in time, we have then had vaccines develop further and further. Okay. And so there are, I guess that's probably the point where you talk about different types of vaccines. So you're like, what are we injecting in here? He actually took the, the cowpox across to the Americas as well, didn't he? And he oh, used yeah. his daughter, I think he used his daughter as like he had to have a whole bunch of people that were passing it on over the boat. And then he got to America and he continued to immunize people all over the world. Wow. It was, yeah, it was a huge, huge trip. Like there, he, there were he vectors of people who had cowpox. Exactly stuff. who they were, I'm not sure. I yeah, he, had, he, had a, he, he had to carry the, uh, the, the, the culture on, through humans on a, on a boat across the ocean oh cool yeah it's pretty amazing but that's the point it's that as a result of that um smallpox is the only virus that we have successfully eradicated through vaccination and i think that's the one thing to maintain that what about polio so it's funny you say that <coughs> is that um, gone that must be, i mean we don't there are two countries i know that and if you look at how vaccination works when we the bug doesn't actually go away for the most part it's, it's when you stop vaccinating, then the disease can take hold. And a great example of this is measles. Um, measles, mumps, rubella has successfully, I, I can't say eradicated, but it has certainly limited spread to a, a point where it is virtually uh, eradicated or at least not spreading in any meaningful way. But if you look even as, as recently as 1988, polio covered across Africa, covered through most of Asia, um, covered through a huge part of the world. And then as a result of a very concerted polio vaccination campaign, there's only two countries I know of nowadays that still have polio that's quite rampant. One of them is Pakistan, the other is Afghanistan. But apart from that, it's virtually gone. Okay. Is that because they can't afford to vaccinate or is it they don't, they don't, they don't want to? I, I, I couldn't speak as as. Cost to and that. geography. But, I mean, between cost, between buying power, between levels of education, I know we'll keep coming back to education, but uh, if, if you're not um, made aware of the benefits of something and if you're not being given access to it, then you can't get rid of it. Yeah. But mm. there, there, there are a number of different types of vaccines. So without going too high into the detail, you hear, hear of live attenuated vaccines. So that's like the weak Conor McGregor example. I just use that because I think it would work well. Um, and an example of that's measles, mumps, rubella. But then, are they three separate diseases that are all kind of similar? Is that why yep. they get lumped in into? There? Yep, in, right. in, inoculated in that way through a single injection. Yeah. Um, then there are what they call inactivated vaccines. So you take the version of the vaccine and you take out anything that can make it virulent, but it will mimic an antibody response. Um, and so an example of that is the polio vaccine. And then you have a series of others where you take bits of 
the virus or the bits of the um, pathogen that would be relevant for your immune system to develop a, a response to it. So they recognise that bit, and exactly. then when they see that bit on the, and that stops you from having to get exposure to the, the yep. actual virus and risk yep. getting sick. And so you have a series Amazing. of yeah, subunit conjugated vaccines, toxoid vaccines, so certain bacteria give off toxoids, so you uh, find the response to the toxoid, and that's how you develop a, a vaccine response. And you can go into diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus. Man, there's some high-tech stuff, mm. isn't it, when you think about it? But if you think about as well the, the, the obvious question is like, is this going to weaken my immunity? I mean, by, by that example, it's quite far from it. In fact, it's simply training your immune system that already works to be able to deliver against a pathogen that doesn't exist. So you don't actually get the full manifestation of the disease. You just know how to defeat it before it even takes hold. Right. So there's no... Because, I mean, that, that's the big question here is can getting vaccinated... Uh, be bad for for your immune system well yeah bad for your immune system or can it just cause other issues down the track Mm. i mean if we go to you know maybe there's a good chance to tell people some of the some of the shit you hear in the classic kind of um uh conspiracist sort of realms around vaccines but um uh, aspergis and um What's the other one there in that, on that line? So autism. Autism, autism that yep, was a big one. Is like, there was yeah. a, apparently a paper that was written by a guy that, that showed a correlation between a particular vaccine and kids getting autism like a couple of years later and that rumour spread like wild... or that, that paper spread like wildfire. Turns out that the paper was total bullshit. The guy was fucking kicked out of the medical board and, you know, there was, there was absolutely zero correlation. But by the time that had come about, a whole bunch of people had already been convinced that uh, by getting whatever vaccine it was, the flu shot or some shit, someone's going to end up with autism. Um, but there's things like that, right, where it's like, well, there's a, you know, you, you might be uh, giving me Im- immunity against this thing, but I'm going to get this other thing because of this toxic thing you've put in my body. Yeah, I think you've got it in one. I think that uh, what you've described is probably one of the most tragic things that we've heard. It's, it's, it's a case of simple misinformation. That was Andrew Wakefield from 1998 somehow managed to get a, a paper published in a prestigious journal uh, showing a correlation between uh, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine and autism or developmental delay and some bowel dysfunction of some description. It's been completely retracted. And there has been multiple, there have been, not has been, but have been multiple papers showing that this was fraudulent, uh, that there were, in some cases, quite unethical means of obtaining the data, um, that there were uh, some motives for financial reward and gain. Uh, So it's been completely shown to be false. But yeah, you're right, the the memory of that has been so pervasive that I think it was estimated something to the order of 125,000 vaccinations for measles, mumps, rubella were missed out. So if you think about the Allianz Stadium, what, 45,500 people? So nearly three of those stadiums filled up of people that were preventably Enough for, for a, not vaccinated. Enough for, for a major uh, outbreak, which is yeah. what happened in Samoa just recently. Yeah, given how virulent measles is and how quickly it spread, it has an R0 of up to 11. That means for each person who spreads it to 11 people, it doesn't take long for that to infect an entire school. Um, it's a horrible virus and it's so easily contained that, that that is what happened. Exactly what you have said. It's good to know that I was on point with that one. Yeah, very much so. Um, and I, this next question would, would be under the same umbrella and 
probably answered, but these are the questions that pop up, especially for parents. I'm one myself. Um, taking multiple vac- vaccines at, at a young age. I know a lot of parents that, you know, they've been vaccinated. They want their kids vaccinated, but they, they hold off because you've got this tiny little baby and then, you know, there's six jabs that just come pummeling in or however many there are. And a, a, a lot of parents are like, it's too, it's too much for a little baby to deal with at such, such a young age. Um, I want to spread the vaccines out or maybe not get them at this age. What's your answer to that? Is, it, is this a, is this a, is, are there adverse effects of giving a vac- vaccination, multiple vaccinations to a, to, a, to a newborn or? Let's look at it the other way, which is how they came up with these vaccines at these times in this regimen, which would be what would be the alternative of giving this is for the child to be at risk of getting the disease. So the reason why you're giving that vaccine at that stage is because the chances of, well, the, the consequence of actually getting measles or rubella or mumps at that age can be a disaster. Death. So yeah. why we vaccinate against it? Because you've got a vulnerable population that needs protection at that point in time. So there has been, there have been years, if not decades, of precedent and safety data to show that these vaccines work. And the componentry within them is designed to preserve the integrity of the virus and prevent bacterial or fungal spread within the preparation or to make the vaccine work as advantageously as possible. So, what I mean, the immune response that you may get, I mean, if you want to reframe it, it's like if I, you know, there's that line when they go, pain is a sign of weakness leaving the body. It's like, mm. oh, well, fatigue is a sign of your immune system learning to, you know, kick ass against the pathogen. Um, if you want to try and frame it that way. So when you talk about the adverse effects, they're either negligible, they don't exist, or they're minimal. But it's simply your immune response developing an immunity to that particular pathogen. Um, that's a very long answer, but to answer in, a, in the too long didn't read version is that no, you shouldn't spread them. Yes, you can take them. Yes, there is data to show that they work. Yes, they are safe. Right. What about like on that? And that, that's an interesting example because I, you know, I've, I've had that same thought, right? I have just my, my son's three weeks old um, and, you know, and he's already had a couple of vaccinations, right? Vitamin K injection and measles, mumps, rubella and all that stuff. And you're like, yep, yep, cool. Like, yep, seems fine. Go ahead, you know, tick the box. Um, but I've had that same thought. Fuck, he's, he's just this little lump. They're putting, the, they're putting stuff into him, right? And so is there, so obviously the way you framed that response makes perfect sense. It's like, well, if he catches measles, then he's really fucked. So <laughs> better to just like put the barrier up so he doesn't catch measles and that's not an issue. I'm guessing what a lot of people who really have this belief that they're thinking is well okay like let's say there's like these three or four really big diseases that could you know kill my child that we want to vaccinate against right but i'm weighing up the decision to to load them up with all these vaccine vaccines versus what are the odds of them actually getting exposure to these things so uh, uh, is there is there any like is there any kind of stock in that argument or is it like, well, no, like, do do you know what I'm getting at? I do. I think we've actually just become a victim of our success. The problem of something preventative is you never know if it worked. But what we do know is that the bug hasn't gone away. We've just found a way of containing it through vaccination. So as long as everyone stays on board, we can continue to actually stay protected with it. Well, humans are also very good at dealing with, with something that's in front of them like a, an imminent threat 
Yeah. And now we have the luxury of not having that imminent threat because of the, as this amazing med- medical system we have and living in the society we live in. Uh, now there's like, okay, well, I don't see any measles or mumps. I don't see any, 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 anything that's threatening my baby right now. Uh, maybe I'm in a position where I can potentially just have herd immunity and I can gain all the benefits of, the, of a you know, mass vaccination without the uh, negative side effects and uh, quotations of um, taking these vaccines in the first place. In a question off the back of that, what else is in this, uh, this, um, this vial? So you've got, you've got your, obviously it's got to be tra- tra- transported in something um, what other what other ingredients are in are in a vaccine? It'll be highly variable depending on the vaccine. Is the is the answer to that? So the the three that people keep bringing up, which I suppose we should deal with, are um, there's mercury formaldehyde and aluminium. They're things that people worry about: mercury poisoning, um, formaldehyde. So formaldehyde, we actually produce formaldehyde in our body, and uh, so I think a figure I vaguely remember from a from either a newborn or an infant, something to the order of that, that child has 1.1 milligrams of formaldehyde floating around in their body just as a result of their own body's production. And the amount contained in a vaccine is something to the order of 0.02 milligrams. So in all these cases, in additions right. of small trace amounts of mercury, which is 50 to 70 times less than uh, what we would be ingesting anyway, um, has been something that's been included in vaccines in some cases since the 30s. So we have decades of safety data to show that these compounds don't do anything well the amount that we ingest in our diet and aluminium is also one of them is is so negligible but the benefit of adding these simply prevents infection from the vial or just makes it uh, work as efficaciously as we can um will will more than outweigh any i've got to say negligible risk of any of these things. So to answer your question, it will differ between the preparation. Um, there are other uh, compounds that come into that category. And the fact that they're given some long unknown name um, is... Makes it sound even scarier, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. You look at the components in an egg uh, and actually look at the compounds within it. It seems pretty scary to be eating that. We do that without even thinking because it's natural. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, arsenic and all that shit's natural, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah. yeah, well, we, here's what I, I tend to notice. And I get, um, you know, I, I speak to a lot of people that, that use naturopaths and they're, they're into organic foods and all the rest of it. It's because you've been hanging out Mull and Bimby way. I, I love organic <laughs> foods, big fan of it. I, I, I understand um, that, you know, pollutants and Nazi, like toxic um, uh compounds are bad for your health and over time could potentially cause you cancer but i think what we fail to recognize is that toxicity is a, is a level and not necessarily a, a thing it's a, it's a unit so you can have uh, too much water and it becomes toxic for you you can, uh, you can have too much oxygen and it becomes toxic for your body uh, you, you can have too much botox and it's going to kill you you know fuck out of here you know what i mean yeah uh, so, but you can have a very tiny bit of Botox and stick it in your face, and it makes you look young again. You know, yeah. and it's not going to it's not going to kill you. Uh, you can put uh, silicon in your boobs, and it's not going to kill you. You know, but if that was to leak into your body, 
and, and, and rather in little bits over time, where, then you're going to get sick and potentially it's going to harm you. So I agree with the sentiment of what you're saying, but I think as soon as we start talking about levels of toxicity, like what you're saying is absolutely correct, but to just try and really scotch that idea that there is a level of toxicity or a level of potential harm as a result of these ingredients between uh, being in the vaccines, it's just, it is just not the case. Well, that, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's as soon as people minor. go, oh, but there is a risk, isn't there? I mean, well, not really. I mean, I... I I'm forced to say that there is, with anything you're given, that there's always a risk of something. Um, it's, it is very, very rare to see well, a series. What is, is that? that? Are we talking like, um, uh, sorry, Joe. Um, no, yeah, I think we're going to ask that. Like what, if you're going to, so you're acknowledging with any kind of medical procedure or something, uh, did you say androgynous coming in? Like something exogenous. From, uh, exogenous from outside yep. the body? Oh, yeah, androgynous is more of an appearance. Um, but the... It, it, there's always a risk there because you're introducing something external. Yeah, I can't say there isn't a risk. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but that is about the extent of the risk. It, it, rather than, yes, some of the stuff that's inside of this vial is dangerous. Like what? It, I think that the, the, it comes down to that human nature that people, people are very fearful of uncertainty. So that's why you often go towards sources that are less credible because they'll be more binary. Y yes, this is final. Yes, this is perfectly safe. Or yes, this does not have side effects. Problem with science is that it, it's always encouched in these kind of uh, caveat statements going, look, this is what we know at this point in time. We're willing to review this at, at a later stage. Um, because, I mean, if you look at it as a word, I mean, science is derived from the Latin scientia, which means knowledge. And it's like, this is the best of our knowledge we have right now. So it's interesting when people go, I don't know if I believe the science. Like literally, I've heard this from a friend. It's like, it means you, you just don't believe knowledge. <laughs> uh, and I think that's the problem. It's like people are scared, ev even at the slightest hint of uncertainty. So what people want is a definitive, yes, this will absolutely not have any yeah. effects. I think, um, I think there's a problem there with the way things are delivered from science and i think it's an issue that 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 creates this space of uncertainty it's something that politicians are very good at they can talk to people with their language and they can give them certainty and that's what the population wants they want someone to tell you okay this is what's happening this is going to work go home sleep tonight when you speak to a scientist firstly a lot of the language they use you don't understand so you're like what the hell does that mean so that leaves space f for you to interpret things a little di bit differently and then there's this space there where it's like, okay, I'm 99.999% sure, but there's a chance that that tiny little piece of chance that I could be wrong or uh, I'm going to be proven wrong in, in, you know, in a year's time or 10 years time, 100 years time or whatever. Mm. And that, that space there gives people firstly the uncertainty, but others that are not experts in their field an opportunity to go in and discredit what should have been put down as okay. This is this is this is final. You know what I mean. This is this is it. It's the way. Yep. It's going to work. You know. Uh, for me, I feel like the language between people that are you know experts in their field and scientists need to be needs a, a bit of a, more of a segue to people like myself and general population. So there's just better communication lines. Stop spaces for people that are not experts in their field to get in and start making a mess of things, you know? Look, I think you're right. 
You're right. I, I think scientists aren't really taught marketing. It's not really part of your degree. And it's not why you do it. It's because you, you believe in the science. I wonder whether nowadays we, we are no longer in the age of trying to acquire information. It used to be it was quite hard to even obtain information in the first place. Now we can obtain information. What we're really in the business of is the age of validating information. So taking a number of sources and then trying to work out the integrity of that information. And this is where uh, social media is, is problematic. And this is the other thing is that now algorithms are designed to show us more of what we actually watch and want. So it's very easy to take a skewed view and then just have a computer show you more of that skewed view. The Confirms hardest, your bias. Yeah, it's just yeah. confirmation bias. The, the harder thing is to try and pull back from that. And, uh, and, and really the way is to read multiple sources from as official a source as you can get and then form your own opinion. What about allergies? Can you get an allergy from taking a, a vaccine or an allergic response? Short answer, yes. Uh, the chances of that are very, very rare. That's why you're kept for a period of time to monitor for a response in the rare case of anaphylaxis. And I, I, the figure I remember in my head right now is something to the order of about one in 100,000. So by putting that in context, the risk of having a car accident by driving a car on a road is about one in 8,000. Uh, and we, we take that risk without even thinking. That's the UK statistics. But it's at least one in 100,000, if not even rarer than that. And so to to have to be anaphylactic to a to any given vaccine, right? That's why you. Ah, oh, so anaphylaxis just describes an an allergy to a given vaccine. Yes, yeah, severe allergic reaction. Right. But um, most of the reactions that are described, bit of pain around the injection site, um, yeah, some sort of ache, um, occasionally some fatigue, is just within the response of a within the realm of a mild immune response. Um, Yes, can you be allergic to it? Yes, you can. Can you be severely allergic to it? Yes, you can. Is the chances of that high? Not at all. So um, what's the, and I mean, I'm, I guess we've still got heaps to cover here. So I, sure. forgive me if I'm jumping to another point. Feel free to cut it back, whatever. We can come to it later. But um, we've spoken about like the the importance of how, like we've spoken about the importance of vaccination, right? And how, the way we're living is now um, where, where we are bearing the fruits of this process that we've discovered. And it's important that we maintain this process in order to keep enjoying the fruits of, you know, this vaccinated society we live in where we're not, we don't have people dropping like flies, right? From various different diseases trying to take us out. What is, if we kind of extrapolate out from, say a small population of people within our community who are like, I'm not going to vaccinate. I'm not going to vaccinate my kids, whatever. Um, and this doesn't have to be relevant to COVID, but just relevant to any kind of anything that's trying to kill us. What is, what happens over time there? Yeah. So I think that comes down to that concept of what is herd immunity. So herd immunity is a measure of how spreadable a given virus or pathogen is. And so that means that eventually you've got a group of people that have either contracted the disease or have built an immune response against it, which means that if the pathogen goes towards anyone in this room, they just can't infect us, which means that we can't spread it on. So just say we, we stopped on block vaccinating against measles. The virus hasn't gone away. And it just means you'll get outbreaks of measles. 
In fact, if you really want to know what would happen if we stopped vaccinating, just go back to the time when that vaccine didn't exist and just take a look. Take a look at what polio did and look at the paralysis that it did the weeks in. I don't know, have a look at if you've seen the iron lung pictures, just uh, scores of people that were negative pressure ventilated and they just sat in uh, a box that would breathe for them because they had paralysis of their diaphragm. They were unable to breathe properly. Wow. The best, best thing they could come up with was to encase them to the neck in this device that would then breathe for them until you eventually recovered from it. So iron lung. The iron lung. Yeah. Look at Google images. It's quite chilling when you look at it. And, and amazing to know that we... Never we, heard of it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, I imagine we would if we ever stopped vaccinating against polio. You talk about um, the... On a large scale. This, uh, the two ways of, of, of um, getting to a position where the, uh, a virus... Uh, is, is now uh, herd, herd immune, we've accomplished herd immunity. Um, a couple of countries tried uh, with COVID to, to take that path. But when, when in history has it been effective to allow a virus to run through a, a population and then all of a sudden everyone's... Has, is there any evidence of that? That, that, that it's run through a population, everyone's caught it, and now we've got herd, herd immunity. Um, not with the, not without right? a lot of death. Right. So I think the last time we looked at the last pandemic that killed people on mass, like there's the immediate the Sp- example of Spanish flu. Spanish flu, yeah. Which, which killed out, it was like a third of the planet or some shit? Several, several million. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, eventually people became immune, quote unquote, over what, a two-year period with a lot of... I mean, the other thing is that you consider the morbidity as well as mortality, such so as how many people were alive but not quite the same. Um, I mean, you know, that pockmarked, disfigured skin is an example of that. Um, and then remember that there are also groups of our population that can't be vaccinated for varying reasons. So people who, uh, say, are cancer sufferers who, or other immunocompromised uh, people, so pregnant women are functionally immunocompromised uh, so that you can allow basically a baby to grow, which is a, a foreign uh, entity. Um, there is some suppression of immunity in order for that to occur. Um, so th- there are groups that can't be vaccinated or at least recommended they shouldn't be for various reasons. And so the whole point of herd immunity is that if they can't infect us and nearly the entire population can't spread this virus and it can't be passed on. We can protect people. the people around us that we care about. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean that it is uh, impossible for those people to contract it? Um, no. But functionally, is it going to happen? I don't think it will. But yeah, that would answer your question. Not I mean, if, Nature's pretty indiscriminate about, about killing people. It's done a very good job for a very long time. So the, the herd immunity discussion then around COVID, there was that initial thing where some countries were venturing to just allow COVID to rip through. Now we can also talk about herd immunity relevant to the whole population becoming vaccinated. Yep. Which is another way of achieving herd immunity. Is that right? Yep. And that's what we're... less deaths. Yeah. And that's, that's ultimately where we're heading with any COVID vaccination. That, that's the end goal. Right. Now that we're on to the, the topic of, of uh, COVID, um, we're, and we're getting close to... Well, we've got this rollout that's happening all over the world. Um, this is a whole nother... Um, it's a whole nother 
worry for people, even people that that um, are for vaccination, they've been vaccinated, but you know, there's an, another wave of questions that have come off the back of this. Um, one of the big ones is just this: the time frame it's taken for these vaccin the, the, these vaccinations to come out and. I think you were saying yourself, a lot of uh, medicine takes up to 10 years before you can apply it to general population. How, is, uh, how have we moved so quickly on this? And are uh, governments and, and um, uh, the, the, the medical practice moving a little bit quick? I think I should just say as an opening statement that for a pandemic, a pretty awful global pandemic for it to happen, it was pretty amazing it happened in 2020. Like if this has happened even the time of SARS, it often took weeks when the virus hit the ground for us to work out what was going on. We knew everything about this before it even arrived in Australia. That happened on a global scale. So doesn't it seem a bit quick? Well, quick relative to what? So, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, standard drug development takes about 10 to 12 years, the cost of about a billion dollars from a pharmaceutical company. Having said that, this has been a global problem, global pandemic, and everyone wants a solution. It's fairly easy to find demographics across a number of centres and fairly easy to recruit large numbers of people. The other thing is that these are all novel technologies, but they have been in development for some time. It was just the, the idea of uh, refining it specific to COVID um, is, is the only sort of tweaking process that has taken this period of time. The, the other lucky thing if you can even call it that is that COVID-19 forms a branch of coronaviruses and coronaviruses are something that we know of and have been very well studied so the simple thing was trying to find a way to target this particular uh, strain of COVID the SARS-CoV-2 um, so does it seem like it's happened in a in a short space of time yes relative to other drugs but given the reach given the type of technology we've used given a large injection of funds across multiple trusts, groups, More time country. Effort, isn't yeah, it really? very much so. Yeah. I think that's actually what, uh, what Joe Biden has called it. We certainly used war in there more than once. War? Well, at least that's what we're up against. War yeah. on COVID. And there's a lot of rallies the troops in that subjects. country very well. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've got, it's what's now <laughs> past 2 million deaths worldwide. The UK's had just over 100,000 deaths. Uh, US had 400,000 deaths. It's um, it's, it's cost a lot. Four hundred thousand in the US. I remember when they were saying at the beginning, someone predicted that the US would have half a million deaths, and you're like, "Fuck, no way, no way, that's ridiculous." And yeah. it's like totally there. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably going to double before the end of the year. Wow. Yeah, I think before. I mean, there's a whole series of things which were quite preventable. But the other thing we should really take stock of is it's just an awful virus that spreads very quickly and quite in, indiscriminately as well. You know the, the 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 people that that I that I talk because I you know we all have this conversation about COVID at some some point, but most of the people that I speak to that have less patience for the subject, less uh, are less inclined to want to take it, uh, especially this first wave, are generally people that are not sitting in the high risk categories. You know they're younger, they're fitter, they're like yeah I'm not overweight, I'm not um, you know I don't have any respiratory issues, I'm I'm. I'm fit. I don't, I don't need it. You know, but what? Why do people in in this low risk category need to be taking this situation a little more seriously? 
Um, depends how emotive you want your discussion to be. And people have discussed this in so many terms. Like, how badly do you want to infect someone who is immunocompromised? Or The fact is that when you have this virus, that the bulk of carriers are asymptomatic. And a lot of What does that mean? Like, the majority of them. Majority are... Uh, and remember the... Does that mean somebody who doesn't show any signs of or doesn't get sick from the virus what what does asymptomatic mean it means yeah you don't have symptoms you right. don't you don't show symptoms from it but you, you don't show them or you don't feel you don't get them say that again do you uh, you don't show symptoms do you still do you know you're sick yeah do you know you're sick no well the other thing is that as the virus incubates the viral load grows the highest in the first five to seven days before symptoms start to manifest right so either you don't have symptoms or you don't realise that you you are infective, but you're actually quite infective. So it means that anyone who has this has the potential to spread it to any number of people. Um, and it means that even though you are not a vulnerable population, it's fairly easy for you to spread it to anyone, to anyone, to anyone that can then infect a, viral, uh, a vulnerable population. And if you want to see what... In, in a really grim way, you want to really see what happens if you don't do what we've been lucky enough to experience over here. You can see what's going on in the UK, um, where there are young people who are being, you know, have had to call an ambulance who have then had the ambulance pick them up and then turn around and drop them back at their house because there isn't anywhere to take them. Wow. So you just get overwhelming of the healthcare system to the point that you, you don't have any means of treating people who are legitimately unwell. Because you're right, a, a low-risk population may not get symptoms, but if you, if you are unwell, you can be seriously unwell. Yeah, and you can still be unwell or have an accident or, you, you know, it could be anything else that you're suffering from. Yeah. Uh, and you turn up to a, a hospital that's overrun with COVID patients and there's just not going to be room for you. Well, uh, the other thing is that there's a lot of unknown genetic variants that we have, which leads to why people are persistently fatigued or persistently have muscle pain or various other manifestations in disease. And we've had certainly scores of reports of people saying, oh, they were previously completely well, quote unquote, now they're dead or they have this, or they can't walk upstairs or any number of things. I guess the other thing to keep in mind is that there's also a lot of people that are in this low-risk category that are getting sick and end up not necessarily being officially in the low-risk category. Like they're getting scarring of the lungs. Can you tell us a bit more of that? Is this a, like these, these um, you know, you get the virus, you get sick, you come out of it. Do you, can you, how bad can the, can the ongoing effects of something like this of COVID be? Uh, I don't know enough about it, to be honest. I mean, there, there are, to, to tell you exactly what percentages um, and, and what exact symptoms tend to persist, it, it's, it tends to be quite individual, but it's on this spectrum from myocarditis. from What is myocarditis? Uh, infl inflammation of the, muscle, uh, the muscles of the heart so that you're unable to either... Um, mount a response to be able to go about your daily activities you're persistently fatigued you have joint pains and aches that persist for well beyond the time of 14 days for recovery um, and again it's most likely due to genetic variants that you were previously not aware of but apart from that i don't know enough on the subject to give you exact figures but what about like these ongoing potential ongoing symptoms so you're talking about the the heart 
um, you you mentioned uh, scarring of the of the lungs. Uh, these kind of things that could potentially let's say let's say I'm you know I'm 41, uh, 42, I catch COVID. I'm kind of on the on the coming into high risk potentially, uh, but I catch it and I get really sick. And then I come out of, uh, I, you know, I beat it or whatever. What can the, the side effects of me getting a virus like this potentially be? We're talking worst case scenario here. I, I, I just don't know well enough to be able to tell you that. But I mean, it's... It what, means, they, what have they seen so far? It means you're just functionally disabled from being able to do how you would go about your normal life. So it means it's like the, the people who either can't work, who can't concentrate who could no longer coach a class, could no longer attend a class right? At the, at the most extreme. That's where you don't die, but you are functionally limited from living like a 41, 42-year-old human. But the exact breakdown of numbers, percentages, et cetera, in today's current time with the data we have, I don't know it well enough to say. Right. Can you talk to us about the, the difference you, you mentioned earlier before the show, different um, companies who are producing the vaccine? You've done a little bit of digging into that? So, I mean, the three, uh, I should maintain there are about 200 vaccines currently in development worldwide uh, across different spectrums. There's ones being developed here in Australia. There's ones countrywide. I think the ones to focus on are Moderna, Pfizer and the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine which is probably easier to just talk about the Pfizer or the Pfizer biotech vaccine and the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine. Both of these are pretty novel technologies. Um, novel the, meaning new. Yeah. Um, Pfizer biotech is the first to have obtained our TGA approval. Um, the, Astra Oxford, the AstraZeneca Oxford, it's, it's still pending. That's as at this date. Um, should we talk a little bit about mechanisms as, as to how they worked I like or that. How, that, how it developed? Um, so, I mean, all right. The way in which normally you'd get replication of a cell is that you, you have your DNA that gets transcribed. So, in other words, your DNA is essentially just a recipe to make amino acids. That'll then be uh, converted or a copy of that is taken in the form of RNA and then using the packaging of the cells that will then create a protein by taking a string of amino acids and that'll fold into a specific shape. So the way in which Moderna and Pfizer vaccines work is this mRNA vaccine. So normally vaccines just inject a protein. It's taken up by various cells that's presented to your lymphoid tissue and then that antibody response is created. That's how a standard vaccine would work. In this case, what you take is a small piece of messenger RNA, which is contained in a tiny little lipid envelope, little fatty envelope, and that's injected into the body. What's messenger RNA? So that is the, that's the copy of the recipe. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll explain. Yep. Messenger, the messenger RNA is injected into the body. It's then taken up into, it taken up by a human cell. It uses the machinery of the cell to start making a particular type of protein, and that's called a spike protein. A spike protein is how... COVID-19 infects human cells. So you have any, any virus is, it's just a piece of material that uses, it, it can't replicate on its own. It, in, it infects a cell and then uses the machinery of that cell to produce more of itself. So it can't actually exist like without- hijacks it. Yeah, that's exactly what it does. It hijacks it and then either 
patiently sits until the cell will replicate and takes along for the ride, or it just turns the factory into overdrive and just keeps making more and more and more of itself until finally that cell dies, releasing more virus. And so that's why your immune system works so beautifully. If you can track that thing, mark it for destruction, either you destroy the cell or the antigen or the foreign part of it gets presented on the surface and your immune system recognises it, grabs an antibody and mops it up. That's essentially how it would all work. What we're doing is the messenger RNA gets translated to the protein. The protein is that spike protein. The spike protein on the coronavirus is how it would infect the cell. So it allows you to actually generate that antibody response without even seeing COVID-19. So all it takes is the most infective part of it so that you can neutralize it. Right. So it stops that cell from being able to meaningfully infect anything, but also kind of marks it for destruction as well. So that's In how... In the case that it does show up. Yeah. And that's how the Pfizer vaccine works. How the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine works is... It, that's a new tech, isn't it? The, the, the Pfizer. Yeah. That, that's, that's the one you're saying has never been done before. Not successfully, no. That's that messenger RNA. So that Pfizer and Moderna work the same way. Messenger RNA that just gets delivered by that tiny little envelope and then turns into protein. The way the Oxford uh, AstraZeneca vaccine works is you need a viral vector. So they took a, a common cold for a chimpanzee and they tweaked it so that there's no way it can actually infect anything. And they stuck DNA into that. So in this case, that is injected into the body. That makes its way into the human cell and makes its way into the nucleus and uses the machinery of the nucleus and the, and to turn that DNA into RNA. And then you're back to where Pfizer was. The RNA turns into protein. Protein is for the spike of the COVID-19. And then the same thing happens all over again. So to answer the question, which would be, can it change my DNA? The answer is no. It, it does not incorporate into the DNA, just uses that machinery to then translate, be transcripted to RNA and then translated to protein. So people go, can these drugs change my DNA? It'd be like, oh, man, I wish there was a drug that could change my DNA. I'd be, I'd be doing a lot of renovating. What would you change it to? What would be your top three picks? Oh, joint integrity, um, muscular size, um, <laughs> cuter nose. I mean, they'd be like, I'd, I'd be renovating, but uh, apart from a few drugs. An enormous <laughs> member. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> apart from a few drugs that we've known to alter DNA. Massive, in, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for cancer development, there's, there's no massive groups of drugs that can meaningfully alter your DNA. Okay, that's it. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair one because that, that, that's been thrown around a bit. Especially with this, um, yeah, like I've heard that a lot and I think that that's probably something that a lot of people who are really on the fence about it are holding on to. It's like, oh, it's going to fuck with my DNA. Yep. And I don't even know what that means, but it sounds bad. It does sound bad. Sam, sounds bad when you say that. Yeah. And then you're on Facebook and then a group of people who believe that say that and then they form a group and they form a mega group. And this is where misinformation spreads very quickly. Yeah, and almost, um, there's always a root though, isn't there? Like when you think about, the, the, a lot of the the um, the conspiracy theory throw, thrown around. You got like uh, people talking about there being monkey brains. There's being baby fetus um, messing with the DNA, microchips, all that kind of stuff. But they all have an. I mean, you talk about this chimpanzee virus, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's something from a chimp in there, and then stuff. Like, oh, I have fucking monkey brains in there. You know, so just it's like a Chinese whispers in a way. You know who's you know? at the center of this whole thing? Who's orchestrating this whole? 
Bill Gates. Bill Gates. <laughs> Fuck that. Bill Gates guy. Fucking Bill Gates. Control everyone's mind. Wasn't enough to develop Windows, which has been the bane of my existence. <laughs> Still trying to work out how it fucking works. <laughs> now he's trying to kill me with vaccines. Well, he doesn't want to kill you. He wants to control you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It takes weeks. The nanobots. To come up with a concerted, well-written data response that openly and transparently tries to communicate your message but it takes an hour for someone to go, wake up, sheeple, and then start, print, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, it's so easy to... Bill Gates is the devil. Yeah, it, like, it takes a minute. Whereas in order to try and produce that in a meaningful way to show, no, this is completely above board and we can't be more transparent about it, the, the standard of proof is so high. It's been like a perfect storm, though. So you think about it, you've got, you've got, this, you've got this vaccine, this anti-vaccine movement coming out and it gets, it's, you've got people going into lockdown... You've got nothing to do. You've got this huge amount of access to information, misinformation, quality information, but information nonetheless. Social media is just in front of your face the whole time and you start jumping down rabbit holes, you know. I think where we are now, it's very it's unprecedented, like do the space that people's heads are sitting in at the moment. Do you want to hear a couple of the top um, fake news posts regarding Bill Gates? Sure. Just because some people might be like, Bring Bill Gates... Fuck's he doing in this discussion? Uh, so the BBC's anti-disinformation team, and I'm sure someone's going to fucking criticise the credibility of BBC, whatever. Um, they've been researching some of the more outlandish claims. Claim number one, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has tested vaccines on children in India and Africa, leading to thousands of deaths and irreversible injuries. One post even suggested he's facing trial in India. He's been accused of, in these posts, rolling out a tetanus vaccine in Kenya that includes abortion drugs, i.e. population control. These are completely false, by the way, baseless claims. Um, There's a video on the website of the New American Magazine's Facebook page continues with the theme of mass depopulation via vaccines and abortion and also links Mr. Gates to China's Communist Party. It was shared 6,500 times and viewed 200,000 times. Um, there's also a video accusing Gates of wanting to microchip people, which has garnered nearly 2 million views on YouTube. I do wonder when people go, this has been viewed 200,000 times, how many of those people go, oh, this is clearly not true. Like, well, I don't it know whether that's the, the opposite metric effect. Because you're like, oh, wow, I mean, like, everyone's can. watching this. So, yeah, I mean, it can. Know, maybe there's some... Well, I fucking like conspiracy theories, I'll be honest. And there's something fun about it. There's something that you want to believe, you know, that you're like, that motherfucker, I knew it. I don't know what it is. I mean, but you, I'm sure you, you like it's it's why these things proliferate. I think people are just bored. I think they are. No, too. you just need something exciting in life to yeah, kind of look bo- at. It's go, kind oh, of yeah, I'm on it. Boring for it to just not be something. It's like yeah, it's like the X Files. Like you want to believe. Yes, you know, way more Please exciting. Be true. I think you can always speculate as to why these things happen. It's like you're gonna. It, and it then can you get be someone like as, yeah. Anand, who's a scientist, to come on and. I'm not a scientist. Like, oh, that's the other thing. I, I'm, I'm not a you're, scientist. You're like, doctors are scientists. Well, I think the, the thing is... is I think he's saying they're not. All, all of what we're trying to do <laughs> is working yeah. with a scientific method, which is to take well, the... That's a scientist. Well, I, I'm, I'm not working in that role. It's just I think the way in which we're taught now just is don't a scientific have test method. Tubes. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's, to take, it's to take a particular fact, uh, try and look at it on its merits, try and assume that this... Uh, finding is due to chance, uh, find ways of proving that the intervention has in fact worked and then evaluating it and then, and then uh, forming a conclusion based on your best available information at that point in time. 
And I think this is always the, the issue practicing we have. Practicing science. Yeah, well, the, the other thing is, yeah, I think practicing science is a fair thing to say. Would be a scientist. Well, <laughs> fine. <laughs> but Sorry. Th- that's the thing as well, I think. <laughs> I'm a I can, fucking scientist too. I'm a fucking right? scientist. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, well, I think if you're following the scientific method, that's Muscle probably scientist. not a <laughs> <laughs> reasonable to say. <laughs> Um, I want to. I want to talk about that subject. Okay. Yeah, go on. Well, look, we we look at we look at um, we're, we're looking at this this the COVID nineteen. We're looking at uh, epidemiologists and um, microbiologists and these people that have dedicated their lives to something that doesn't pay a lot of money. Uh, they just have a huge amount of interest in these areas, and they've studied it for a long time, and they're studying other people that have studied it for a long time and and and, uh, and ongoing. And then you've got Big Pharma. And these people that, uh, these epidemiologists, these microbiologists, they're just, they've got families, they, they've got loved ones, they want to help, you know, they want to f- save people's lives. But then you've got Big Pharma and, and there's this like image of Big Pharma for a lot of people where it's like Big, big Pharma's fucked. Like it's a, this, this evil corporation that's just trying to make big money off making people sick. But then you've got, you get what I mean? There's these two sides of the coin. What can you tell us about Big Pharma? Why does it have such a bad reputation? So, I mean, Big Pharma, this is a question that could not only be an entire podcast, but it could be an entire series of podcasts. So it's a pejorative term for the pharmaceutical industry. And you are right. You have large companies who have significant, shall we say, persuasion power, so significant lobby groups, but are also producing a whole series of drugs. Um, one can talk about... Uh, not only the range of drugs that are made, but also the tactics that are used to try and promote those drugs. Um, A a lot of the criticisms are fair, and then a lot of the criticisms just feed into um, wild theories and accusations. So you're right. I mean, people say they're a big evil company. I mean, the other thing is philosophically, you could always say that these were were people who had very good intentions that uh, simply... um, had the power to try and promote their product and kept going with it. So whether they started in one way and ended up in another headspace, these are all just speculative comments on my part. But, uh, I mean, what we know on the face of it for the purpose of the COVID vaccine is that it's meant to be a not-for-profit initiative. And people go, yeah, right, of course they're going to make... I'm like, yeah, sure, fine, maybe they'll make money off that. But, I mean, Pfizer developed Viagra. It, I mean, I, I don't think between all the products they make, they're short of cash. Um Never heard of Viagra. What's that do? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard it from a friend. Does it work? <laughs> it actually does. In fact, the story of it's fascinating. So how does it work? <laughs> you hear about how it was invented. I mean, without. I mean, this is a blood, this will was be a, it blood pressure. It was it was a blood pressure tablet that was ineffective, but the participants refused to give the tablets back, or the tablets <laughs> quote unquote went missing. And they finally found what it would do. I had a friend. Can you snort uh, it? I know a Brazilian guy who was a... Um, <laughs> That's how any pharma- good story begins. He was a pharmaceutical rep back in Sao Paulo. And he used to sell... Um, there's, a, there's a competing drug with Viagra. Cialis. Yes, yeah, Cialis. Yeah. Which apparently is better, according yeah. to me. It's like, oh, it lasts longer, yeah. actually. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And um, he used to drive around <laughs> Sao Paulo with basically a boot full of Cialis. And... He would, it's, it's, it's fucking mayhem trying to drive in that city. I've spent a bit of time there. Like, it's just absurd. And so you speed, you cut red lights, you just do whatever you got to do. And if you're in a busy job like that, you're just fucking cutting corners all day. And he'd often get pulled over by cops. And it, it didn't take long before 
he'd get pulled over by the cops and they'd look at his license and they'd be like, ah, you're the guy. Cialis and guy. all he'd have to do would slip him a box of Cialis <laughs> and they'd let him off. Always forgive yeah. <laughs> Cialis and cocaine, I'm guessing that would be the combination running through Brazil. And North Bondi. And North Bondi. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I have nothing I can add to that comment. I really don't. Um, but on, on the big pharma thing, it's a, it's a really interesting point to bring up because you can, like you can look at, there, I mean, there is so much evidence of big pharma and not all of the companies. Horribly corrupt in, in some fuck, cases. Yeah. Totally, like pulling well, the most unethical things to make astronomical amounts of money. But then there is also this side of them where it's like, well, they actually do have to deliver a product that works as well. Mm. Like that goes hand in hand with them making absurd amounts of money. And in a situation like this, I, I, I trust that there's some kind of state pressure or government pressure to be like, hey, do the fucking right thing here. Like, yeah, make some cash, but this product has to work. Yeah, I mean- It's not like a complete free for all. No. So, I mean, when you say evidence of that, I mean, there's certainly findings of this. There are documentaries, and I don't know the the bias of said documentaries. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the scores... I'm going off Patriot Act. If you watch Patriot Act, that's my guy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. But, yeah, yeah. Sam Minaj, and he does a breakdown on Big Pharma in the States, yeah. where it is a... Oh, di- States is a It's a mess. fucking... Yeah, it's the wild west have of to capitalism. To Bernie Sanders will be able to stand up there and tell you all about it. I think this is a reasonable point to talk about this idea of, of where Bernie. you get your information. Bernie so, Sanders is a reputable source. Yeah, and this is what I mean. It's like, and then I hear, and then you say it, and people listen to what you have to say, and you put it on your Instagram. You go, Bernie Sanders is a reputable source. I think if you put that in quotes or something with some but sort of, let, let's a let's bunch go of back to, like to, to the, the to what what Bernie talks about. And I think the, the the biggest issue with big pharma is the fact that if you don't have a government that keep them in place, like we do in Australia, where you can pay for a puffer, asthma puffer and get it on Medicare, uh, if you leave that up to big pharma like America, then you're potentially forking up 10 times, 20 times the amount of what something would usually cost a fraction of the price somewhere else. So to unpack that statement, it doesn't have a government that keeps them in place. So there is quite a significant number of regulations that uh, allow how drugs are distributed and within the setup of their healthcare. And I, I mean, this is without going into discussion about their healthcare system, the associated costs. There, there is a regulatory framework in the United States. It's not like this anarchy free-for-all where you can't get drugs. They may not be easy, but there are pathways. And so it's certainly regulated. I'm, I'm Regula- very- Yeah, for if you've got lots of money and you work for a big corporation. Are you saying well, in the States? Yeah, that's, that, was, oh, okay. that was T's statement. I mean, yeah. what we have is is an absolute luxury that we should be completely grateful for, that we have universal healthcare and we yeah. have easy access to primary healthcare providers. Um, so I can't comment very further than the one or two lines about the American healthcare system. And again, that would be a topic of multiple podcasts and probably is. But you could you could also imagine too that like being that, that – we're a very different place to them in this discussion, like in as you've both just demonstrated. But the most of this conspiracy shit that's getting bounced around social media comes from the states. I, I'm guessing a lot of it comes from there. So it'd be very easy for someone to like be looking at material, talking about how the pharmaceutical system works there, and be like, "Yeah, that's the same shit that's happening here." 
Whereas it's actually not because it can't happen here because we have government regulations around that stuff. And a completely different healthcare framework. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I think it comes down to this idea of where do you get your information? And I think now it comes back to that idea of validating the information that you have. And it's almost like Facebook is is really like the McDonald's of intelligence, isn't it? It's like where you develop your views from. I mean, you guys have spent endless amounts of time in a, in a very reasonable way talking about the importance of nutrition, of where you get your sources, of where you curate your food. You talked about organic food at the beginning of this podcast. When we talk about where you get your information from, it really warrants an identical amount of scrutiny. And I, I had one, one example. I got sent this by a physio, and it was just a, a one little infographic sent by another physio. It said something to the effect of, uh, one week spent in a brace in healthy volunteers correlated with a 6.7% decrease in muscle volume or quadriceps volume or something like that. And then it wrote just an author down the bottom. And I looked at this and it's completely meaningless as a statement in and of itself. I tried to look up that author and I tried to look up that study. I couldn't find it. But, you know, what type of brace, what type of volunteers, what were they doing um, what industry are they in? What exercises were they doing concurrent to that? What other confounders do they smoke? Like, where do you even begin to ending. unpack that? But then that can be shared so quickly as it was shared with me. Um, so where do we go? Where so, do we go? I, if we're talking about yeah, talking about vaccines. Where do we go to get our reputable source of information? So I would go to the. If, I mean, for, I mean. Here's a different conspiracy theory, which is what if the government actually just had our well-being at interest and wanted to try and and limit economic and financial and health damage and actually just wanted to protect a population in the best way so that it could. So they could keep paying tax. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so that they can keep paying tax so <laughs> we can have like all the money roads. And coffers. Yeah, roads <laughs> and hospitals. Like here's a conspiracy theory. What if everything was exactly the way that it's put out to us in a reasonable way? with a most likely a fringe group of some financial interest somewhere that we have no knowledge about, but who cares? Because we're going to get protected against a global pandemic that's killing people. What if we run with that conspiracy theory? You know, you know that where- from Bill Gates? Or like where are you catching this stuff? <laughs> I think it's from a government website. Yeah. And, but look, I mean, I think the, the thing is, it's where I think you can start when it comes to acquiring any information is try and look at multiple sources of information. So I would go to an official site and I would, uh, if, if you look at one particular mode of, of, of receiving this, wherever possible, rather than forward the Facebook or WhatsApp or Instagram share, is at the very least, go to the original source and then read it on its merits. It's one of these things is instead of Within lighting... context. Yeah, well, instead of lighting your mind up with these sort of borrowed light from Facebook post someone up, just install your own lighting system. You know what I mean? Like find something where you look at the original source, you make a conclusion. And whenever you look at a study, really the thing to look at, everyone looks at the results, but what you've got to look at is the methods of like how they looked at it. Is this something you've looked at retrospectively? Is it something where it was, there weren't numbers, you just kind of ask people their opinion. And then you can say good or bad, or all you can say is the study is not effective or it's very limited in that way. I like looking up the author. It's a big one for me. Author and also their um, their credentials. Yeah. Uh, that always reveals a lot. If you want to really change the algorithm, find someone that you profoundly disagree with on social media 
and then look at their posts and then actually go to their sources and look at where they're coming from. Because half of the problem of polarization means you're not even willing to look at or even listen to what someone else says. Like if I said, oh, there's a Republican from Arkansas, there'd be people going, not interested. The very fact that I said that political party from that end of America, they, they could be trying to get, you know, fuel efficient green vehicles and improve relations in there. But for that reason, you're like, no, nah, not interested. And the hardest thing for all of us is if you've got someone you profoundly disagree with and they come out with five statements, is to actually look at each statement individually on their merits. And maybe two of those statements you can agree with. Well, I think if you find yourself disagreeing with every statement, there is a chance that you are suffering from a little bit of confirmation bias of some sort. Yeah, quite possibly. Favoring. Yeah. Um, this is some, a way of being able to check yourself, you know. Yeah. It's very, it's, and, and in the opposite direction as well. Like if you've got someone that you just agree with everything that they put forward, then you've got to ask yourself, okay, am I just agreeing with this person because I just want to or are they – you know, do they need a little bit more scrutiny, you know? Yeah, and people go, I don't have the time for this. It's like rubbish. If you've got minutes to scroll through that empty post of Instagram stories you've already been through, you've got 30 seconds to at least go to a source and have a look at something. Because the other thing is that once you become informed on that subject, you become the person that is a resource that people can go to to begin to have that discussion. Also, going, but going back to what you said about uh, you know, what, what about this conspiracy theory? Maybe the government has my best interests and just wants everyone to get over this virus. There are places on the planet today where you cannot trust what's coming out of the government's mouth. You can't. I mean, look at what Bolsonaro is doing in Brazil. Um, the, 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 uh, look at Trump. And you look at these politicians that have gained power by spreading and helping the spread of misinformation, misinformation and, and conspiracy theories. So it's, it's depending on the situation that you're in, where you live, what, where, you know, who you're surrounded by, it can get very grey. I should maintain there's, there's nothing new about this. So, I mean, like we have a term in the English language called witch hunt. It's like where they actually came from was that there was a period in our history where there was some phenomenon that couldn't be explained and you would find people and accuse them of witchcraft. And they would be drowned or burned yeah. alive. Mm. And that was quite often the norm. And Mostly, most of the time, females. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, who just needlessly suffered and were tortured and were killed. I mean, there were times where the, the, the amount of light we had in the day was the same as when you'd go camping rurally. We just lived in disease and squalor and endless accusations. And it's just simply through education that we somehow managed to get out of this. So the fact that you've got a dominant voice asserting a particular opinion, there's nothing new about that. But how we came to where we are now is that there is a group of people somewhere in the middle of that that began to educate themselves and began to educate other people. So the sources are available to people, but it's trying to curate those sources, be aware of your own bias and continue to look at whatever is the most official information. You can look at official information from multiple countries. So Centre for, for Disease Control, the WHO, and people go, oh, WHO is getting killed. I was like, all right, fine. But have a look at it on their merits. Look at our official site and then try and look at what is the, what is the best evidence with as little bias and be prepared to reevaluate that. So you form an opinion here at Jan... 2021, maybe different in June 2021. Um, you know, I mean, podcasts like 
Corona Cast are very useful in that they come from a government broadcaster and they are using as reputable a source as they can. Um, but equally, you listen to that and I think hearing these things should really be a springboard for you forming your own opinion and re-evaluating that opinion. And practising the ability to critically think. Yep. Um, going back to the, uh, the coronavirus, this Africa... Uh, variant UK yep. variant. Yep. What what's the deal there? What why are they variant? And and you know we know obviously vac, um, virus continually mutating. Yeah. Um, what's happening here? And why are sci- why scientists so worried about these variants? Yep. So I mean viruses will continually mutate. Uh, they're in fact uh, a repair mechanisms or, or reading mechanisms to ensure the integrity of that cell. So. Most of the time, the virus proofreads the replication, says, no, no, it needs to be this sequence, and then on it goes. Uh, most of the time, the mutation is not advantageous. Sometimes it is. So what we have from the variants uh, originated from, what, I think it's September 2020 from the UK, is now spread to at least 50 countries. Uh, there's a variant from South Africa, and now there's a variant from Brazil has meant that the virus is more infective or more easily spreadable than it was. It's a mutation to the spike protein. My current understanding of it, at least with the Pfizer vaccine, that there is sufficient, that uh, it is not mutated to a point that the vaccine doesn't work. But equally what it means is that uh, it is fairly easy to tweak the current vaccine so that it will work against that variant. And it may well be that's the reality we have, is that as that variant Uh, takes hold or dominates that the vaccine will continue to change subtly we may need a repeat dose to counter for that variant exactly how that is going to work is is still i guess up up in the air which is what happens with the flu vaccine every year is that is that the process there it's yeah and yeah so that takes the most common the most infective strains of that year and then attempts to put them into a, a vaccine and that will change from year to year yes what um is there a chance that there can... I mean, obviously, there's a chance that there could be a variant that comes out that just kind of nullifies these vaccines. I'm guessing the, the, the more people that are infected and, and spreading uh, corona, the, the more chances there are of more different mutations and, and this is where it becomes an issue or a time game where we need to get people vaccinated quicker so we don't have these huge pools of of, um, of muta- potential uh, uh, spaces where muta- mutations can happen. Is, um, are, are, are we worried about um, this happening to the point where we have to start again? What, what's going to happen if, if we decide not to take this vaccine? Um, there are a lot of questions in that statement. So, but d- in short, sure. I mean, I guess the I, last question is the last. Okay, I mean, to end, I'll, ask, I'll, I'll answer the last question, which was, what happens if we choose not to take the vaccine? Which means we simply progress at the rate at which we are currently doing without the vaccine. So there will be a point at which will it will continue to infect people. Uh, we will have to keep up the current physical distancing restraints and measures until we reach the R0 less than once. In other words, the virus will just gradually become unspreadable and die out. You can do that through a series of harsh lockdowns or whatever and combine that with the morbidity and mortality we have. Or we can uh, vaccinate and at least 
the there's a, there's a few things that have been brought up there, but I'll give the short answer and then I'll elaborate on it, which is at least it will prevent severe disease. So the way in which we know any vaccine can work is you look at safety and efficacy. So the efficacy is will it prevent disease or will it prevent transmission? So it looks like from the Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca vaccines, they'll all prevent severe disease. And all of their at least preliminary data suggests that. The question that we don't know is will it prevent transmission? Because where we're ultimately heading to with all of this is herd immunity. Because then we can go back to life pre-COVID. You know, it's so unspreadable that we're just not going to get COVID-19. So from a safety point of view, there is a rigour of the clinical testing. And then there's also the nature of how the vaccine actually works. So by targeting that spike protein, there's no way you could actually get coronavirus from the vaccine. Um, in terms of efficacy, we know it prevents severe disease. Um, but the transmission, we just need the data to work out how spreadable it is. So what happens if we don't take the vaccines? We just go at the rate we currently have and deal with the consequences we have now. And it seems that people are just fed up of that. Yeah, I mean, we're quite fortunate here in Sydney, in New South Wales, but there's definitely pockets of this city that are sick of it and there's fucking other parts of the country that are had a way rougher run than us, isn't there? 100%. I mean, the, the, for people to consider that for the next, whatever it is, 24 months, five years, we're going to be getting sort of intermittently locked down and restricted and that, that, that's a fucking horrible reality for most people to consider. Yeah, and that's, that's here in Australia. In Australia. If you look at what's happening overseas, it, they're, they're like literally flies. at war with this thing. It is horrendous. I'm speaking of friends in the UK and, and in Holland and they are fucking miserable. Like really miserable. It's horrible, actually. Yeah. It's midwinter there as well. Yeah, so they're going for so a tough bit. What's the deal with that? Like, because um, I had a chat with... Um, a couple of my mates in Holland and they were, uh, they were asking me, what's it like over there? And I was like, I felt quite, uh, I, I felt a little bit guilty just saying that I'd just been to the beach and it was packed with fucking people everywhere. And um, oh, it's so you hot, know, guys. people are so out of cafes and there's <laughs> bars drinking and, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's kind of like it, it's, it's a thing of the past. It, it almost felt like that. And he said, you know what, man, like during summer, we, we're kind of in that space as well. And he said then winter came and it's just changed again. Things have gotten real bad real quick. What, what, what's the deal? What, what kind of, well, how does weather affect our immune system or our ability to fight the virus? What's going on there? Yeah, physical behaviour changes. You right. tend to spend more time indoors. You tend to spend more time crowding, which means that you right. are closer to other people. So on average, it means it's easier for viruses to, to spread. Ah, okay. Especially in cold climate yeah, uh, countries. Yep. Yeah, you spend a lot more time indoors. It's the fact that we are geographically more spread out, and we're in the middle of summer, um, means that we can keep our distance. Hopefully, we keep our distance the way that we're told to keep our distance, and it limits spread of the virus. And that's where well, that's masks simple. actually make a difference. And I mean, the, the, you can. There's all manner of um, information on the internet looking at aerosolization of when you talk, when you sing. Which is why it seems a bit strange. People go, oh, no singing. They're like, I'm going to sing. And you're like, yeah, but there's a reason why you're told not to. Right. You project more yeah. spit. Yeah. Wow. And you can, you can see it in the, the rates of common flu that dropped off last year. 
Uh, yeah, okay. Because we were taking all the measures for COVID. Because we're physically distanced and locked down. And washing our hands. Yeah, um, and washing our been, hands. Just being a little bit cleaner. Yeah. Been dirty bastards. Any uh, any final any final things you want to pick out, T? No, no, no. I'm just... Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm convinced if I'm going to take this. I'm just... I'm yeah. <laughs> Give Look, me a I'm going to send Bill Gates an Give email. I'm just going to ask him straight up. One in each butt cheek. <laughs> I don't put 666 this, I mean, does, oh. this, does this mean anything to you, <laughs> Mr. Gates? But looking at my, how do you, I mean. I'm going to do Pfizer in one butt and uh, Moderna in the other. I think they just put it in and your shoulder, but sure. Put it in, in your butt on the, on the glutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> a Stanozole <laughs> as well. <laughs> and that one that alters the DNA. Yeah. Did you make me bigger? <laughs> now they can finally have that cute nose. Yeah, that's right. Like this is, this is, these are going to be the sound bites for the episode. Not all the information we talk about, just yeah. the, the last few minutes. But I think this is the point. It's like you, you can't see the bigger picture if you allow your lens of the world to be dominated by the short-sighted. And that's the point. If all you do is listen to Fox News or if all you do is you listen to one single source and, in, and espouse your entire way of thinking around that delivery of information, then that's all you're going to deliver. And there's nothing good or bad about that. It's just that will be your source of information. So the very fact that you look at multiple sources, that you go to the original source, that you form your own conclusion – and, you know, I would game it. I honestly look at, it's like, how critically can I look at this versus an expert and try and make some idea of it and be prepared to correct yourself and you become a resource. And then before you know it, your community starts to find a way of powering back against a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist because you've got a group of people that go, you know what, I don't need to be told that in that way and just believe that through Instagram. I've made a decision, or at least I've made... I'm going to say make a decision because that implies that you won't change a decision. I've made a current standpoint that using official sources, this is my position. And the other thing, which is the hardest thing for people to do, is that if you're told something from a credible source that, that changes or is contrary to what you've said, is to actually accept it and go, actually, uh, you know, I can correct or clarify or detract from this. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd finish this the way I began, which is to say I'm not an expert on any of these topics, but this is the best available data that I could find. And the way that you know, someone like me should speak is as a representative of New South Wales Health, which is that rather than just get fired up and say these are my opinions and try and promote fear, is to say that this is, this is the best thing that I can do and this is the best information that I have, but I'm willing to be corrected on it. Sounds like a good point to close on right there, my guy. Nando, thank you for, for doing all of the research you did so that you come and speak in the way that you did today, man. Pleasure. Thank you, Anand. No, thank you, guys. Thanks. Yeah, very cool. And uh, I mean, if you, we don't know any men, Nando's been a member of our gym for years. So he's, he's not only spitting this kind of medical science on us, he's out downstairs getting jacked and mobile. And Enormous amount of gains with his grappling as well. Trainer who's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, apparently he's good when he shows up. Oh. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you're listening, come to this gym. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, guys, if you like that episode, please take a screenshot of it, post on your Instagram, tag Bill Gates, tag Pfizer, <laughs> tag Joe Biden, tag Farmer. fucking Bernie, five, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Yeah, get them all. Let's, uh, let's get them in for the show. I think it'd be great to do a little debate on the Jungle Brothers podcast. But no, really, do help us share that. Um, and if you've got, you know, if you, if you got a rebuttal or you, you got something that you think we didn't explore please mention it to us um, because we'd be happy to do a follow-up to it at some point if there was enough 
sort of um, backlash or if there was enough, you know, um, uh, questioning, we'd be super stoked to, to, to drill further into it. So With the source behind it. That's the other thing. It's like find, find the yeah, don't don't just share with us the, like a, the, the, the latest fucking thing from, uh, that you got from Facebook. It's, it, give us something reputable that we so can discuss. I'd like to discuss. know. I'd actually like to know and then find that it up for myself i always like with, with, with these they always go like how do we find you at the end it's like i i, I don't have any details to give you don't want to plug your pluggables I, I have i don't really have any pluggables i think if you need me professionally i'll find you it's like don't go looking for me <laughs> like, like <laughs> other than that you can That's go like on some batman shit a little bit oh, yeah, it, did, it wasn't or, intended or that way when i just dealer. said it but yeah. but i like a and a and d isme is my instagram if you want to see my my dips and my cooking but i have anand is me yeah that's like right it. but i have nothing else really to plug um no in fact you know there's only one thing i will plug and i have no you know that's the other thing i have no conflict of interest any affiliation with any of these things but nutrition nutritionfacts.org um is uh, the only not-for-profit non-commercial evidence-based uh website looks at means of improving survival in nutrition um means of accelerating oh, weight loss yeah it's well worth a look and Should they have an instagram as well they'll give you little bite-sized bits of uh, Do they have anything on keto? No, it, his his idea is uh, on a plant based diet. I don't, I don't know if he's vegan. I don't think he is. I think he does it for medical reasons, for hormonal benefits and, and the like. Um, but that's the paleo. Only thing I, uh, I think actually there is a valuation of the ketogenic diet and the paleo diet, and looking that you get reductions in muscle to achieve oh. your weight loss rather than body fat. <laughs> mm. But there great. are there are videos on this, and it's <laughs> like, and I would invite you to actually have a look at it, watch what he has to say. He quotes all the everything there quotes the articles that he draws from that you can then go and look for yourself. There's transcripts of the videos and everything like that. Completely not for profit, non commercial. So if anything, I could plug other than my my insta and my my food and my dips um that i would say someone that someone else ruin ruining people's day <laughs> <laughs> fuck i really love that conspiracy theory shit yeah. <laughs> that was a shit podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's great until that point thank you guys and if you need any help from uh from us junglebrothers.com or you can follow us on instagram at junglebrothersmovement thanks for listening uh thank you again nando Pleasure. Thank you to both of you. Thank you. Catch you next week, fellas.